this week on the Backtable Podcast. I always thought Type 5 was some pocus pocus because it, it never made sense to me. I learned, I read it in books. I haven't seen it personally, but uh, it's good. You know, I drained it and it's real. So, um, really, you know, you're much, much older than you. So. <laughs> no, I, I've got to know. I always called it, you know, I called it the um, idiopathic endotension, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Welcome back. This is part two of the End of Leaks episodes with guest host Sabine Don and guest Sahir Sabri. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable podcast, your source for all things IR and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on Backtable.com. This is Sabine Don as your host this week, and I'm very excited to introduce our guest today, interventional radiologist Dr. Sahir Sabri, coming to us from MedStar Georgetown Hospital. Welcome, Sahir. Hello, welcome, Sabine. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Well, before we dive into our topic today, just want to say a quick word from our sponsor, RADPAD. RADPAD was developed by physicians for physicians, clinically proven radiation protection during CINE and digital subtraction and geography. Don't beg your career or your health on anything less. Trust RADPAD radiation protection shields for all your floral guided interventions. See radpad.com for more, interven- more information. Contact info at radpad.com for a free radiation evaluation and a no-brainer radiation protection cap. Let them know you heard about it on Backtable Podcast. And let's delve into our topic. Well, let's talk about approaching these type 2 endoleaks. There's, there's, you know, four major ways. When you schedule these patients to be treated, do you do it under general anesthesia or do you do conscious sedation? Depending on the patient, most of the time it's sedation. If I do direct sacrum on elderly patients and have a discussion with them and even most of the time I do with, with anesthesia available, but they rarely intubate the patient. So yeah, I, um, you know, I generally speaking do it with, you know, sedation, but I've had these, you know, branch lumbar access and then you know, the rest that puncture and the you know, patient not being tolerate being on their stomach and they move on you when you have a, you know, a needle in their back. It's not, a, it's not a good it's I know. Totally. Um, but in direct sac, I would do it for the others or for the other ways, um, not necessarily with anesthesia. I completely agree. And you talked about direct stick. So what's your technique? I mean, do you, do you direct stick the patient under CT and bring them to fluoro? What do you do? How do you first start your direct stick procedure? The axis is in the yield into four different ways of, of axis. And, and one of them is a direct sac puncture. You know, there's a transarterial way of doing it. And there's a transcable way of doing it and there's a going around the graft which is something that i'm going to learn some more tips from you so these are in a formatting way to do it so the direct sac puncture is i usually do it under floral and the way i like to do it is i study the ct very very well to look exactly where the what i call the nidus the area that is most in the biggest collection of form of contrast into the sac and, you know, you see that on the, usually on the later phase. So you know that that's the area you really want to hit. And then you kind of triangulate and see where that is located in relationship to the, you know, iliac limb of the graft, the floor divider, which is the area where the graft separates into two limbs. And try to, and then the vertebral bodies. And you try from that to kind of draw a line from the skin into that area on the CT. So then I, I need to go at, you know, L3 level and the sinus process seven centimeters to the left is where I'm going to start if I use a 45 degree angle aiming for the 
contralateral gates, then I should be able to hit the, the leak. So there's a lot of pre-planning that goes into it. And that's what I usually prefer to do, to do that under, under Floral. I now I needed to use CT or Axis, but definitely I've used Combeat CT on the table to kind of help guide me through the process uh, to confirm that what I went through, did I go through a kidney or something, or did I, you know, miss it completely before I, I go ahead and, and upsize my, my axis. But that's usually my, you know, triangulation process. I feel like moving a patient from CT to floor, although we have a room right next to each other, I just find it too cumbersome. And um, I think as iterates for the audience, we have, you know, the triangulation skills, I think should put it to work. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, moving that pa- I've never actually done that, uh, moving the patient of CT to IR for this type of approach. I uh, just do it exactly like how you say, and, and you use cone beam. Some people say they've used, you know, some of the special guidance systems on their floral machine, like, you know, needle guidance or expert guide. I, I've never done that, but I think that's a cool way of doing it too, if, if you want. But I think with our triangulation techniques, we can do it without that. But or you could use these technologies that's available to you, works great. I've used it before. It works very well. Um, yes. You have to kind of have a, you know, convert patient and to be able to kind of mass, you know, and have the algorithm work for you, but it works out very well. So, you know, the, the next thing is, you know, whenever you do this access, it's always the, the question is when you use for access, I usually need like a tuba needle in your ad or some of these needles. And then, you know, what do you, you know, upsize to treat them to see what, what you use for these. I use an AccuStick and then I put that AccuStick, you know, into the direct sack and then I'll use like a four French catheter to direct and then a micro catheter. That's kind of my system that I've done. Uh, you know, I, I've put a sheath in too, if, if I know I'm going to be pretty successful in the procedure, five or six French, but I've done pretty well with the AccuStick. And then I, I definitely do all my work through a microcatheter. You know, I'll, I'll inject the nidus. And when, when you inject the nidus, what, what are you looking for? Yes. I mean, I, I think I've used a solar system to use. Sometimes I've had, or a small leak and a prohibited bullseye, I could embolize through the needle. Yes. Just with the, you know, liquid embolic through the needle itself uh, without needing top sizes. So that is, you know, worked actually a few times, depending where you're treating and how big it is. Usually, if you identify the, so you do it when I go in and you hit the nidus and inject, you want to make sure you're in the nidus. Because if you're in, you know, access the sac and then you inject and you see this kind of the area that looks like thrombus, pulmonogram. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you're not, you're not in the, it does have smooth edges to know that you're exactly in the, you know, in the leak itself, in the nidus, so, so to speak. So. If you're in the, you know, thrombus, it's like, I mean, you're going to put a wire, you're going to just make, you know, just dig a hole. You just got to keep, keep, you know, creating false channels and, and you're not going to get, I mean, you can put a ton of coins or whatever you're going to put in there. It's all useless. So you just have to go to redirect so you have a droop of blood. I don't necessarily, you know, measure pressure, but I want to see like an arterial flow coming through. If it's like really pushing a lot of blood, like shooting blood, then I'm just measure pressure. And if it's like, Similar to the arterial, then I know probably I have a, you know, a type one endo leak on my on my hand, not a type two, and um, so and that's something to keep in mind. But um, generally speaking, I don't necessarily measure pressures um, or trans transduce. So basically, look for the the return. Like when you get arterial axis in the femoral or radial, you you just kind of 
you know, wait till they get that blood return. And you want to see this and it has to be significant drip. So once there, yeah, then I just do the same thing as you have signs and such. And then I do an injection. And the idea is to see is can you see the end, can you see the outflow? So you're not going to see the inflow, but you're going to see the outflow. If the outflow is a mobile, and um, that'll be good. You can try then to use you know, the methods you just mentioned using a catheter combination, a four French and a micro catheter and go out and try to cannulate these lumbars and then see if you can coil them and then come back into the nidus and then fill the nidus with neutron. So, you know, coil, onyx, whatever, whatever you want to do, but to go and, and take out these outflow will be good. Now, if the outflow is an IMA, so that's the stakes are higher because if you yeah. just start putting liquid emboli in the sac, it's going to shoot out of the IMA to the left colic and you have problems. So if the outflow is an IMA, then I would just spend as much time trying to cannulate the IMA through the direct sac axis to coil it before going ahead and doing anything. And, you know, if I cannot, then it may have to like, abandon and consider doing a transarterial axis. And that's why I'll, I'll go over my algorithm is I usually like the transarterial over the rect sac axis for this particular reason. If I think the RNA is in statement, but, but that's generally speaking my, my thought process. That's what I'm looking for. And the, in the end, in the, you know, when I inject the, the sac or the sac around, if you, if you may, I'm just going to curious exactly how, how successful we've been trying to tannulate some of these arteries, onto arteries through the direct sac axis. Very hard from you're going from prone position, your needles directed anteriorly and you're, and you're basically pulling 180s on, on the area. It, it's hard. And like you said, if, if you see it and you could, if the lumbar is the outflow, then, then just go with the liquid embolic and try to push it out into there. It's generally more easier than trying to cannulate and coil, but I'll try that first all the time. Now. You brought these words inflow and outflow. And I, I think someone who's starting to treat endoleaks really has to understand that concept. Uh, it was something that I didn't really, really have a full grasp of when I first started these. And, and you can get into a lot of trouble. You mentioned what you don't know that that, that means that the IMA is an outflow. You, know, you could get into some horrendous complications here. So it's important for our listeners to understand inflow, outflow. I think you described it pretty well. How to like, or, or you could do it again. How, how do you determine what's inflow or outflow on your sacrogram? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's hard, but generally speaking, you know, the, the inability to persist, you need to have a, an artery that goes into the sac and an artery that goes out of the sac. So it could be one in, one out. It could be, you know, two inflows, two outflows, and, and so on. So, and it could be, you know, three inflows, three outflows. It, it just depends on, on how complex the, the, the endoleak is. And sometimes you can know what arteries are involved from the CT, but you don't know the direction of the flow. So if you're in the aneurysm and you inject, whatever you in a C fill, wash out through is usually the outflow. So this is, you know, that this is where the flow is coming out. And then you know that this inflow is coming from somewhere else and it could be the lumbars, it could be the IMA, it's hard to know. That's why I usually prefer to go transarterial over a direct sac puncture. I feel like I can have more control of, I know I'm entering the sac through one of the arteries. So I know I enter, I, I at least have one in my pocket. I know I, I can treat this one that I'm in. And from there, I can have a better idea when I inject, I can see where things are. And if I need to coil a lumbar or something, I'm coming 
and you alluded to this, I'm coming from an anterior approach, which is the IMA, and I couldn't go, it's easier to select the lumbars if you need to. Or if you're coming from the lumbar arteries, and you can easily go anteriorly and go into the IMA. So I find it my go-to method is usually to go transarterial to treat these and uh, before I go to the direct sac puncture in general. And we could probably need to you know, yeah. hit on that at some point to go through the techniques of doing the Yeah, that's actually the next one I was going to ask you about. So what does transarterial mean? I mean, aren't you in the arteries all the time? What does transarterial mean? And you know, basically you start your axis from the femoral or from, you know, from the radial. So basically you just, you don't access the south. You do it like an angiogram, like we do everything. And then you know, you study your CTA and then you decide what artery I'm going to go after. You know, I look at the IMA. If the IMA is patent and the endoleak, there's a puddle of contrast, the city and the origin of the IMA, then I know the IMA is involved. I don't know if it's an inflow or an outflow, but I know it's involved. That's the case, and I will go from the SMA to the art front into the into the IMA. So that'll be the that'll be the way. And once you're in the sac, you inject, and you'll see if the contrast comes back of the IMA. This means the IMA is an outflow. If you inject and then you feel lumbar or you feel you know other branches, then you know that the IMA was the end. Then you go to embolize your sac the, the way that we used to start earlier. The other approach is. If I do not see an anterior component and I do not see the IMA uh, definitely, you know, open and I see a big chunk of calcium or if it's like there's no contrast in it, then the other option is to go through the lumbar arteries. And the way to do this is through the internal iliac artery up the inner lumbar, which is branch, the first branch of the posterior division, and put a microcatheter there and do an injection to see the lumbar arteries fill, and then you get the microcatheter all the way through that in back into the sac. And again, you do it the similar way. You treat, you usually these would have a, you know, a third number is one inflow, one outflow, and you embolize it this way. So that's in generally seeking how, you know, I do the, my, I choose which uh, transarterial axis I go through. What's your go-to? Do you, do you like to do IMA first or do you like the lumbar, you know? I like the IMA because I know exactly, I mean, it, if it's open and you do the angio, you're going to see those huge, you know, your, your, your Arcarile and a Drummond. You'll see the whole loop and it's pretty easy to get through relatively depending on the SMA. So, I mean, the iliolumbars I find much tougher. The, the, it can be a lot more tortuous. And so my preference is going to the IMA and then doing a sacrogram from there. Is that your thing too? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, a, um, but after, a lot of times the IMA is not just now open. And yeah. The top two in the league you have is just numbers in, numbers out. Well, you know, in both are inflow and outflow are more numbers at two different levels or same mode. And I yeah. it's out of the equation. And so the league, you see it, it's all posteriorly. There's nothing anteriorly. And if that's the case, your options are direct sac puncture or going through the illegal lumbar. I, mm-hmm. you know, direct sac puncture, you go in, you can put some material on if you don't fill the actual. Uh, lumbar inflow or outflow, it may recur. And that's what people keep, you know, talking about in the leaks. It's like a whack-a-mole and you go and you embolize and just mm, yeah. move back again. Because if you just embolize part of it, it's not going to solve the issue. You really need to try to hit the actual inflow and outflow and try to hit the, what's in between just an ibis. It's not enough to embolize the artery itself. It's not enough to embolize the lumbar artery. I can tell you that a lot of the referrals I get from the community are somebody went in to the iliolumbar and then coin the iliolumbar. And that's it. 
She said, what our rate? Oh, uh, no. Yeah. We have to go back to coins or find other radio numbers. So you cannot just hold the audit. You cannot just hold the IMA. Like if you've made all this hard work that you just mentioned to go around or to go to the IMA origin, and then some people just end up just calling the IMA instead of going into the NIDA itself, into the SAC, filling the SAC itself, and then embolizing the IMA on the way out. I mean, that would be the, mm-hmm. the approach. Totally. But again, though, one thing you have to be careful. I, I saw in one M&M conference I went to is is uh, an operator went through the IMA and didn't recognize that the IMA was the outflow, had used glue in the sack and all the glue came out into the IMA and into the college. And uh, that was not a good complication to have. So again, got to keep in mind inflow outflow, but uh, when you're doing these, do you use like 150 centimeter length catheters? That's usually enough. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, there's a few technical things I'm interested to hear from you, some technical aspects. So, you know, for the SMA IMA, I tried to kind of get a catheter into the middle, call it as deep as possible, start with like a Simmons one, and then I get a microcatheter and try to slide the Simmons over the microcatheter into the middle, call it as deep as possible. Yeah. And then goes a 150 microcatheter all the way to the sack. For the inner lumbar, I think you end up going ipsilateral oblique. It's not access because you cannot go up and over. So you have to kind of choose either right or left, depending which lumbar look more prominent on CT. And then you go, I usually use something like a rim catheter. And then I take it into the gluteal, basically the superior gluteal. And then I pull back and try to hook the LU lumbar with the actual rim catheter to give you some support. And then from that, I put a micro catheter and to be end up, um, you know, I think at 135 is usually long enough, uh, you know, to get you know, from an epsilon approach to get to you what you need. But usually you need something like a 2 old microcatheter to navigate through so all these two tools from numbers. Yeah, they're really gorgeous too. I mean, if you have access to any neuro equipment too, some of the neuro microcatheters are really great and obviously compatible with, with liquid and bullets. So yeah, but I agree. I'll use a 2.0 pro grade or something and, and 150 or 135, like exactly like how you do it. So one that went pro tip, which um, I know Sabine, you do it a lot when you, just because you do a lot of CLI and when you do a pedal loop, when you try to kind of get to some branches that there are a lot of other collaterals, one thing to do is to knuckle the wire or wire like a phallum or something or transcend and then you knuckle it and that will usually go through the number easier than trying to kind of go with the tip up. I usually will choose the larger of the, of the lumens to get to into the sock. So I usually... Once I get into the other number, I knuckle the wire, push it a lot of times, it just flips well. Similarly, you do it with the, you know, plantar artery before. Totally. When you get that knuckle and it goes, it's, it's so nice. <laughs> and you briefly touched on endpoint when you're doing trans or direct signal. What, what's your endpoint when you're embolizing? Yeah. So I tried to kind of, you know, at some point as you're filling the sac, you start, you know, start, start aerating into the thrombus and then you can just use a lot of whether it's liquid imbalance or colons are using and it's not needed. So if, you know, I usually do a cone beam CT to try to kind of see that I fill the, the same component that we saw on the delayed phase on the CT. If it matches on, you know, on, on CT that I know I fill it in the same spot. You know, if I, if I manage to, you know, embolize some of the you know, oxygen arteries and I fill the sac, you know, most of it and I, I keep injecting for example onyx or glue and start filling the thrombus and I know that there's no reason to, to inject anymore so that's usually it's an endpoint I think that part takes a lot of experience and 
be prepared and you think you've done everything you could and you get another scan and you see the area you treat looks great and then at the edges monitoring the leak. Uh, we get to go back. It's really hard, regardless of the experience we are, to try to get a whole tattoo, and especially if it's a complex one with multiple inflows and outflows. Do you think that's up to like that's the most frustrating? Agreed. Agreed. And that's and totally agree with you. I mean, these are the two like direct stick and transfer two. I would say the most two most common ones that we use to treat. I mean, you mentioned earlier trans cable briefly. I mean, I mean, do you do many trans cable? I personally have not done a trans cable endo leak, but have you done any? Yeah, I've done them definitely. And I try to keep them as a my backup if I if there's a leak that we could not get to it through trans U lumbar or to you that and there's still a persistent leak, like I mentioned earlier. And um, the end leak is posteriorly medially, so basically adjacent to the cava. Then direct puncture could happen, but you didn't have to go through and through the cava. It's a mm-hmm. okay. That's when the transceivable comes in. You just go and use like a tips axis needle or transceptal needle and use the sheet, like, a, you know, like you no know, other ones you use for tips to angulate and then you use it to push through. Again, you don't have as much control of where you enter. So you end up entering a thrombus, you have to kind of pull back till you enter the actual nidus. So I've seen a lot of uh, people do it now. There's some, there's some study, you know, small scale serious and have an 80 some percent success rate, but I've seen a lot of it done, you know, where you do it and get into the thrombus and they put a bunch of corns and just like none of it is actually in the, the nidus because you have control of where you enter. So I really reserve it for what I just said, you know, it's basically it in the leak posteriorly that could not get to it through any lumbar. When you say you're using the tip sheet, so are you putting a 10 French sheath through the cava into the aortic sac? Yeah. So if you're going from the cava, but no, you don't take a sheath and no, you just only use the transeptal needle uh, through the tip sheet. You know, uh, you can use a rush to sheet a needle to yeah. fractionality, and that'll style it over. And then once you're in, you just advance like a ONA GIT wire and then put a microcatheter over it. So the only thing that enters into the sac is the most is a full French catheter, but a lot of yeah. catheters all up to me. Perfect. And there's no risk of bleeding from the IVC when you take everything out. No, usually just uh, seals. And so this transcubal concept has been done, you know, for tumors and stuff like that. And, you know, for tumors as well. Um, mm-hmm. Really, they, they end up using work to blend a hole. But for this, something that's small, it's it's not a, it's not a big deal. You just have to be careful if you use liquid embolics to kind of, you know, have anything comes in, you know, come back into the cave and then you know, shoot off. And, you know, briefly, and then you, you talked about around the graft or paragraph approach, something we've talked about a little bit on online on social media. What is that? What what kind of approach is that? You want to hear it from you, Rod. I'm just that ready. Usually you've done it for when we do a, some of the tuning work and, and such. And, um, you know, basically you go through the iliac limb, but not through the middle of it. You go between the iliac limb and the wall. And you try to sneak a caster up there to get you into the sac. The main issue becomes like you can enter the sac at a thrombus, not at the nidus. So now you're gonna have to find your way back into the nidus. So that's swimming with that part. And so I'm kind of curious to see your experience with it because I know you you've done it and you like it. Yeah, you know we've been doing several of them lately. Probably now we've done about eighteen to twenty uh, paragraphed approaches and. And like you said, yeah, you, you basically, you start off like a transarterial approach. You can do a transarterial at the same time because you access the groin. You pick whatever limb you want to go around and you literally sneak a, a, a catheter, five French catheter and wire 
between the limb and the and the arterial wall. And in our experience, you would think it'd be very hard to do, but it's almost like just like like trying to do a little tiny short segment occlusion, and, and it goes pretty easily. You're, you're absolutely right. Sometimes, and it's definitely been a couple of cases of ours that you just end up in that neural thrombus and you do a blobogram and you can try with your catheter. Like I, I use a Compi and, and I'll change over to a rim or, or even a Simmons one to try to get some directionality and try to get to a point where I'm getting bleeding back, just like your direct stick or trans arterial, but you could get stuck in arterial wall and are in neural thrombus and just you're not going to go anywhere. But, you know, in several cases and the majority of the one that we've done, somehow, I don't know, by the stroke of luck, you get right into the nidus, you do an injection, you see all the, you know, you can see the outflows pretty well. You can roadmap them, use a microcatheter, coil them and, and do what you want. And fortunately for us, I'm always surprised we have not had any type 1B endoleaks, you know, we pulling out the system afterwards, the self-expanding limb seals it but um you know i know you mentioned you you had one before where it makes sense if you have a short seal you might leave a leak there at the end and then that's that's not a good thing you know you just have to be careful when you're you're pushing the graft off the wall and just have to be careful that you know if you already had a tenuous seal and the you know at the iliac level that you may need to just coin your way out or you know put liquid embolic on the way out um if it's a long seal then it's not not a problem Usually, yeah, you know, it's done. And you know, thinking of, of you know, coiling or liquid embolic and things like that, it's just, um, I mean, there's so many different ways to use to fill the sack. And, you know, you just, everyone had a lot of great success, a lot of, you know, you know, series and studies. And it seems like most people have good success. You just have to get something you're comfortable with. For me personally, I like liquid embolics and I like to use onics is, is my preferred. I feel I have better control of it than glue. I just know that you know, when I inject it, I know it sticks with a catheter. I know you have to be patient, very patient with it. I know it's very easy. Mm-hmm. And you have to have access to it if you, you have to have, you know, work with neurointerventionalists and such. And I know you don't have a problem with that, but some places don't have as much access to it. So for me, I've been lucky to have access to it and that's my prefer um it's expensive yes but i think it's um works out pretty well it comes a lot of sweet out of fact on follow-up which is nice kind of squeeze a lot of leaks but you know it's um you can uh, you know when you treat it you know where it is and you kind of look at the edges of it to see if there's a bruise or a recurrent so sometimes it's a really big leak and uh, especially uh, if i did you know trans lumbar then i would put to see i'll just put some big framing coils you know, five liquid coins, oh three five, and just fill as much as possible. Then I do the the liquid embolic to try to kind of fill the crevices in between and try to kind of get into the artful branches. But you know, to try to save some of the liquid embolics, I'll, I'll use a combination both you know coins, yeah, and onyx. What do you, what do you use? Absolutely, I, I'm more for for endoleaks. I I am pretty anxious to use glue, especially because. You spent all this time to get there, you know, and your microcatheter there. Glue is kind of a one-stop shop and you got to pull, you know, whereas Onyx, you know, if you put something, I mean, you can kind of, you have your time and you have, you know, you just have to be comfortable with it, be patient, but you can do a lot more patiently instead of the kind of quick glue and, and rip out, you know. And I, I totally agree with it, with creating a framework of coils and to decrease the liquid and because all of them are very expensive. And see, I mean, some people have used, you know, thrombin, you know, to add to this. I didn't like it as much because I can't see it, you know, and, you know, just always worries me. 
So, um, so I think these are, you know, kind of important technologies that you need to be familiar with when you, when you do any of these treatments. And I, you know, we mentioned the gutter leak before and some others and the remote works very well for these because it can go and, and can fill the small spaces in between, between the catheter. Um, but for, you know, I think, you know, kind of big top two in the league that, you know, we have to find the IMA and such. I mean, coins would work well for that. And just put coins in the sack and core around there and get out. With all these embolics in the sack, you know, it creates a lot of streak artifact, especially if you have coils and otics. How do you follow the patients after treating the endo? Yeah, yeah, I, you know, that's the thing about it. Just because not a street artifact and, you know, just, you know, drop me earlier, you just really cannot see the leak anymore, which is, you know, good satisfactory result. The problem is, you know, you have to kind of figure out a way to kind of limit, limit that sweet artifact of some dual source CTs and such. But for me, I just use a, just a non-conic CTM delayed. And, and despite the fact there's a lot of, you know, unexplicit amount of artifact, you'll see the leak. If there's some leak outside of the area treated, you'll see it at the edge. I found the question, MRI works very well if you have a prior, you know, a lot of corns and, and, and onics in there. And then you jump by the sack, you know, even if there's a leak or there's no leak. If the sack is not increasing, then I just stop because that's something that we all struggle with. I'm going to, for your opinion, if you, know, if, if you have a big tattoo leak and then you treat it and there's a really small tattoo leak that is left, you know, and it's like you missed a small lumbar that is feeding a tiny leak, but the sack is not growing. Would you just leave it alone or would you just say, oh, I didn't tweet out a leak. Let me go. Let me go back. I leave it alone. I mean, if it's a big end of the leak and it's done, I think um, I get, I'm like, okay, I'll just, I'll just watch this and, and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that the thing. I mean, the fact that you treated, you've done the most you could and there's so much small leak, I was just not get too crazy about it. Try to go chase every single bit of it if you treat the biggest portion. So that's why the, you know, the sack size is not changing. The fact that the street artifact, it's not a big deal, to be honest with you. If the sack size is not changing, I would just keep watching it. But if it changes, then, you know, you'll get a better sense. Who sees the leak outside of the, you know, kind of to the side of the street artifact and see this all the time. And then, you know, because Ned Stage I was talking about earlier about our MR, our conscious enhanced MR imaging, it's actually a pretty recent change to our policy. And I might start doing a lot more MRA follow-up you know, for these patients, I've been doing it now for, for my uh, peripheral vascular disease patients. And, you know, I'll be interested to see whether I get a lot more info or not. Um, and, you know, I'll definitely let you know with that. So uh, just quickly to touch base, we've talked about one, two, three uh, endoleaks. What, what do you see type four endoleaks often? No, I mean, I think we're pretty much done. I mean, there's shoe graphs in the past that we were too porous and then had the shoes. So these are, I think, off the market. And similarly, top five in the leak. Similarly, similarly there's, you know, basically there's no blood in the sack. It's just some fluid. Um, and there's, it's called endotension. And that's pretty much gone. You may see it every now and then from somebody who's still living with some of the older grafts. But I would not worry about these now and just focus top three. I always thought type five was some hocus pocus because it, it never made sense to me. I learned, I read it in books. I haven't seen it personally, but uh, well, it's good. You know, I drained it and it's real. So, um, really? All right. you know, you're much, much older than you. So. <laughs> no, I, I'm glad to know. I always called it, you know, I called it the, um, idiopathic endotension, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's there. You just for me, a lot you just get fluid back, you know, sure. Oh, crazy. Interesting. Pressures, yeah. But yeah, we don't see it anymore. 
Well, any additional comments, you know, anything for our listeners that uh, you want them to know about endoleaks uh, before we end? Yeah, I mean, I would say that for, for any young interventional radiologist who's kind of the catheter skills to do all kind of embolizations. And, you know, this is a, you know, a really nice, challenging procedure to get better at. And you have a lot to offer. I would say partner with your specialists in your area, vascular surgeons, or radiologists who, you know, you work with if, if you're involved in the EUR placement. That's great. If you're not involved in the EUR placement, you can be participant in the, in the IOR program by, you know, providing the skills that you have with microcath, with, uh, you know, liquid embolics, understanding the imaging and interpretation and such to, to help with the, with the endoleak program, you know, depending on you know, everything or politics and local, just, you know, and see what you can offer to the community. Not everyone is, other specialties are, are comfortable with all aspects of it. Many are excellent at it, but many, but some of them are, you know, not as much and they can use your help. So, you know, there's a way and niche that you can develop and you have the skills for it. And you need to study what in the work and, Anytime you take on a procedure, you need to know all the ins and outs of it, how to follow the patient, the, the devices that you're dealing with, and, and how to treat and follow up these patients um, yourself. Great. Well, sorry. Thank you so much. That was super informative. I you know, hope our listeners are excited and learn some stuff about endoleaks. So thank you so much for joining us. Really enjoyed talking to you about this topic, and I hope we can do some more together. That's awesome. Thanks for being a lot. I've learned a lot. So um, hopefully people enjoy listening to this. Absolutely. Absolutely.